Thank you, James, and the, the worship team. Uh, thank you for the songs that we can sing for this morning, um, the, the truth that we can fill our hearts with, uh, especially after maybe, maybe a long week, uh, a challenging week, and, and maybe a lot of discouragement or, or challenges, and, and, and the songs really help kind of ignite our heart for worship. Does everyone have a handout? Does anybody need a Bible? Well, as you know, we live in a, in a fallen world, and there are natural disasters, there are hardships in life. Sometimes for me, the, the cold can be a, a natural disaster, so I, I protect myself and I, I put on the warm lay, layers. Um, I'm from California, and so out there, we have to look out for earthquakes. Um, and so a lot of people have... Uh, policies on their house and, and try to ensure the, the, the safety of the house. But, but if you live uh, or if you have a lot of money and you can afford it, then, then you can do what one family um, did, what one millionaire family did. According to uh, this website, uh, the architect Eugene Tusi built a house for his parents and it was specifically modeled on this, this little, these little fishes called tardigrass. They were microscopic creatures that are thought to be the most indestructible animal on the planet. So, so already he, he, he's trying to prevent his home and, and keep his home safe from, from any natural disaster. So he starts off with the base. Now, by the locals, it's known as the fish house. Right? It was made with recycled materials such as styrofoam, and concrete blocks to, to make it impenetrable to fire, water, and sound. Its exterior is also angled inward four degrees to protect it from earthquakes, and steel cables are implemented to allow it to stay standing in face of a natural disaster. And in the event of an evacuation, there's also structural slide escapes from the second story, and plus it also can save neighboring houses from natural disasters. And then the owner installed four water jets to the outside in case the neighbor's home catches on fire. And I was looking up some of the, the most secure homes, and, and there's, one, there's a home that, that includes what's known as a, as a safe room. So you go into this room, and you are pr totally protected from, from almost anything outside of the world. So we have these kinds of security systems. We have these kind of... Um, built-in protective systems for our house, whether you have a, an alarm system that lets you know who's coming or whether you're a millionaire and, and you have radar on, on intruders or smoke screen set up so that they can't see. Well, how much energy and expenses you invest in your physical, physical security is a preference. But if somebody were to ask you, what is the biggest threat to your existence? What immediately comes to mind? Is it a natural disaster? Could an accident potentially endanger your life? What about Satan? Is he the biggest threat to your existence? Maybe unbelievers, right? People who, who just openly profess hatred towards God, actively raising their fist at God. Maybe, maybe they are your biggest threat to your existence. A new year may be the biggest threat or concern on your mind right now. Maybe you're going to graduate. You'll possibly start driving a new car. You have new classes this year, right? New opportunities. And that can be scary. Unimpressive grades may be the biggest danger in your mind. right? The billionaire, he's afraid of people entering in, so he... He builds everything around him to protect his home. But for you, the thought of looking dumb in front of your friends or family may cause you to then work on additional hours on homework. And grades can be seem to be the biggest threat to your existence. You're thinking, what am I going to do if I don't score this grade and, and I don't get the job I want? 
because that job is going to give me the security I need. It's going to give me the money that I need to protect my family, myself. So I need to spend these amount of hours to make sure I can secure a good grade. Right? Your protection plan then includes countless hours in homework study. Or maybe the new sports season is next. Right? Zero physical gains and a lack of improvement in skill frightens you. Right? What am I going to do if I don't have the strength to do this? What am I going to do if I don't have the skills in this sports? That means I won't be able to go to college. That means I won't get a scholarship. I must get on this team. I, ne- I need to do whatever I can to make sure to ensure the safety of my life, the existence of my life. Maybe family disunity seems to be the greatest danger in your existence. Or marriage, potential marriage. Oh, if I don't get married, what am I going to do? If I don't have a spouse, what am I going to do? That it would be the biggest threat to me if I don't have this individual in my life. And then in any potential success or achievement, right, you painstakingly then keep watch over any potential setbacks or roadblocks. And there's difficulty in navigating these goals, right? First, you look, you look back on your previous experiences, and, and it's either a fail or success. And so from there, if it's, if it's a failure, you start strategizing all the ways which, you, which could have been different. Your mind just relentlessly thinks about how you could have done this different or how you could have said this different. I should have done this or I should have done that. I should have taken this course. I should have been on this team. I should have been with these parents. I should have had these friends. And of course, you'd rather not think about your weaknesses, failures, or humiliations, right? Occasionally, however, total failures and previous mistakes then motivate you towards your goal. Again, you'd rather not think about those trials, but you're willing to admit them so as to not convey perfection in front of your parents, family, or coworkers. Like they say, nobody's perfect, right? Everyone makes a mistake, and you're willing to admit that. To say you never failed or, or seen limitations, that, that would be embarrassing. So, so, of course, you say that. But to think about the failures and to think about the trials. And in the successful activities, let's say you do succeed in the activity or the school session or the sport. I mean, who, who brings up? personal weakness and victory. In other words, you, you just want to move on to the next accomplishment, the next success. It's, it's on to the next task, bitter, bigger and better. And yet, all the while, you are focusing on the wrong danger. You have the wrong threat in your mind. Your friends, your family, Satan, natural disasters, that is not the biggest threat to your existence. You need to listen to me. You are your biggest threat to your existence. You yourself will be the biggest danger to your existence. And thankfully, we have the word of God to help us to understand that. We have the word of God to help us to know what to do, how to protect ourselves from ourselves. And so if you have your Bible, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, a couple things before we get into this. <clears throat> Just the what's going on in this passage uh, historically that pretty much Deuteronomy is, is a big sermon that, that Moses is delivering to the people of Israel right before they are about to enter in the land of Canaan. So, so God delivered, God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Israel sins against God and, and grumbles and complains about going into the land. And so God then disciplines them and, and says, okay, you, you'll be in the wilderness for for the remaining 40 years. And so God led Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And by the time we get to Deuteronomy, they're just days apart, days away from entering into the land of promise. 
Moses is preaching this, and, and he's not going to enter into the land. So he's preaching this. He's not going to enter. And most of the listeners are unbelievers. And there's a few believers, but most of these are believers. So you have a, a dying man who's preaching to dying people. And so by the time we get to Deuteronomy 8, that's what's happening. And he's about to warn them, not of the scary people that they might encounter in the land, not about the, the potential wars they're going to see or, or how they're going to make it in life or how they're going to graduate and go to the right college and, and meet the right uh, spouse and have the right family and live in the perfect neighborhood. No, he's going to warn them and say, you, beware of yourself. And so as we read Deuteronomy 8, I do want to kind of give you a little bit of the layout before we, we go on. See, the first 10 verses are kind of a, a looking back. There, you'll see there will be an obedience command, a, a, a remembrance, and then a, a call to obedience. And then when you get to verse 11, this, and I, and I do want to read this with you right now, just, just so that you can see it. This is the main command. This is the main thrust of this passage. Everything is driving on this command. Verse 11. Take care. Or you could say, beware. And it's not translated in the English, but, it, but it's, it's watch out for yourself. Beware, not of, of other people, but beware of yourself. Over yourself. And then he's going to describe the, the warnings upon future successes. So that's kind of what we're going to be reading. That's what we're going to be going through. So go back up to verse 1 of chapter 8. I'm going to read. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall remember to keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know in order that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the land. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God 
and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of your God. In Deuteronomy 8, God helps us to understand that the biggest threat to our existence, to, to your existence Please do not be thinking about someone else. Please do not be thinking about the person next to you. This is very direct. It's as if he has been preaching this sermon, and and then all of a sudden in in verses 2 through 19, he, he, he goes to the individual, and it's as if he's looking at the individual and looking at you and telling you and warning you not to beware of yourself. And so here we have three actions towards protecting yourself from yourself. Three actions towards protecting yourself from yourself. And that first action towards protecting yourself from yourself is self-exaltation. I'm sorry, is to remember your spiritual neediness. And, and really, you could say, remember your total neediness. If you want to write total above spiritual, that would be better. Remember your total neediness. Verse 1 begins with a call to the obedience of God's word as he has done in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. He begins like this in verse 1 of chapter 8. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply. And remember, he's speaking to Israel as they're entering in the land and to go in and possess the land, the land of Israel, which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And then following verses in, in verses 2 through 10, the following instruction is not the typical reminder prior to a celebration or grand achievement. Right. What you're going to see would, should cause an offense it might be offensive to have to remember the humiliation, the, the degradation, the, the, the want. But that's what you must do. You, remember, you must remember your total neediness. And that's, this is exactly why Moses is instructing the Israelites prior to the entrance of the land. And so verse, verse 2, he says, And you shall remember, or you shall call to mind, you shall be active you are to often remember this, call to mind all the way, all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. He's reminding them that they were not wandering. They were not aimless in the wilderness. God led the Israelites in the wilderness. They didn't know where they were going, but, but God led them. And what we're about to read This first category for the Israelite to remember was that the Lord's affliction for exclusive allegiance. And we'll see that as we go, he'll give them a purpose statement uh, or an instance and then a purpose statement on what they're to know. And in this instance, it's what God is to know. It's whether or not they were exclusively allegiant to him. Verse 2 You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Here's the purpose, so that he might humble you. God purposed to humiliate the Israelite. One of God's purpose was to cause the Israelite to feel, to know, to sense dependence upon the Lord. To have that utter sense of, I am dependent on the Lord. I don't have any independence. And so the Lord was humbling them so that they might sense that second purpose was to test notice in verse two it's he was to humble them and then test them why what was the test to produce verse two to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not see the israelites were not spiritually ready for their entrance into the promised land think about this right 400 years of living in a pagan and unbelieving nation. 400 plus years of, of not having spiritual shepherds teaching them 
and leading them. They didn't have his word, right? They were enslaved. They, well, they were in the land of Egypt, and then they became enslaved, but, but they didn't have God's word at the time. The Israelite, the individual Israelite was without direction and counsel. And so they had the promise of the, the hope that Abraham, that God had promised Abraham, and that's what they had, and that was sufficient. But they didn't have God's word. And so God rescues them out of Egypt and now must afflict and test the Israelite. And the Lord's leading in the wilderness was a visible demonstration of his superiority and the Israelites' inferiority in regards to decision-making. Right? In other words, the Israelite, by his obedience, was expressing his dependency. Disobedience then communicated independence. The Israelite was to remember his spiritual neediness. Again, you are your biggest threat to your existence. You are the biggest danger to your existence. And, and what Moses is trying to do to the Israelite and to us is to help us to remember our total neediness. Do you understand? God's afflictions and tests, it causes the inner man assessment of the situation. Roy has told me it's like a, a, a sponge and it, and it has black water in it, but you don't see the water until you squeeze it out. You don't know the nastiness of your heart until trials and afflictions come and it, and it reveals where your allegiances are. Are you going to obey God or are you not? Right? It's going to produce thoughts like, I, I just can't obey. Or I don't, I don't think I like that. Right? My parents are disciplining me. Right? School is hard. Work is hard. Relationships are hard. And it's, and it's showing me how I don't agree with that. And I have wrong views of God. And maybe that's coming out of your heart during times of affliction and testing. And you say, how do I, and I don't know how to communicate to my sibling. And how do I treat my mother and father? And, and there are all these questions that are coming out of your heart. And you're accusing and you're hating authority. And he says, God, and you say, God says this, but, but I just don't know. So you may think, well, well, why does he need to know these thoughts? Well, why would he want to know this? Why must he force that acknowledgement of dependency? Because you don't naturally obey. Your obedience isn't guaranteed you need to see the error in your ways. And not only was the Israelite to remember the Lord's affliction for exclusive allegiance, but the Lord determines sustainment for instruction and life sustainment. Verse 3. And this is still part of the ways that they're to remember how the Lord led them. Verse 3. Again, he humbled you. Notice this, he caused you to be hungry. He let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, or did your, nor did your fathers know. Right? Manna was the, the little wafer cracker that, that God gave to the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt to feed them, to, to provide their physical nourishment. This is huge. God's sovereign hand in the life of the Israelite. Did, did you notice verse 3, how it was God who was humbling them and God who was causing them to hunger and God who fed them? He ordained their life circumstances. He desired for the Israelite to experience limitations and want. And he did not want the Israelite to feel good about himself or herself. God, in a sense, was saying... You can't make a decision without me. I'm going to lead you, and you're not going to make these decisions without me, my involvement. Your view of yourself will be matched against me. Notice again, verse 3. He humbled them. He caused them to be hungry. He fed them, and here's the purpose, verse 3. So that he might make you understand. That man does not live by bread alone. In other words, 
the existence of your life is not merely found in your nutrition and what you eat. You could say it like this, you're, Israelites, your, your estimation of your physical needs, it's lopsided. God daily met their nutritional needs. We, we saw it in verse 3, right? Look down at it again. He caused hunger, but, but he didn't destroy them. He fed them with manna. And so God met their nutritional needs, but, but they were greedy. Write down Numbers 11 to go back to read what they sinfully desired. God met their physical needs, and yet they didn't want that. So they were idolaters of self, and they sinfully craved the comforts and pleasures of food that brought satisfaction. We think a moment of hunger is, is some, there's something wrong. And yet God was saying a moment of hunger was so that I could feed you in order so that you know not by food alone are you going to live, Israelite. It is not about that. It is not about your physical needs. So how does man live? Verse 3, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. This is incredible. Think about it. So, so as God is, is bringing these trials and afflictions, the thoughts are raising up out of their heart, and they're wondering, how do I do this? I don't like this about God. I want to do what I want to do. I don't like authority in my life. I don't like this. And he's seeing that the choice of obedience or disobedience, and here he comes to counsel their soul by his very mouth. Think about it. This would have been free night at almost every day of, of the, the week for 40 years. The best preacher preaching to them, sending out his shepherds to teach them, and as the people are, are experiencing the nastiness of their heart arising out of their heart because of affliction, now they have answers. And God is telling them, you're to live off of what I tell you. You're to find your satisfaction and sustainment in my word. But you need to remember this, Israelite, before you go into the land, before you get out of this time of life, you must remember how the Lord led you. That's Moses is so concerned about that, that, he, that they remember this. Next, in, in verse 4, we're going to see how God sustained and then testified to his discipline. Notice verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus, right? All, again, all the ways that God led them in the wilderness. And, and out of this, verse 5, you are to know in your heart. The Israelite was to know clearly. And they could have tested. They could have looked back and said, yep, here our, our clothing. We, we had the clothing we needed. We needed what we needed to physically move forward in the wilderness. Clear as day. But God wanted them to, to acknowledge and recognize in their heart that the Lord, their God, was disciplining them just as a man disciplines his son. Verse 6. So he, he finishes up. He's still, Moses is still looking back. They haven't entered in the land. We saw in verse 1 there was this call to obedience, and then verse 2 through Nine, we, we, we saw how they're to remember, right? They're to actively recall God's active involvement, the cause to humiliate, to, to raise this awareness of dependence in their life. And now he's going to call them to obey obedience again. Verse six, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Why, Moses? Verse seven, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, Here's what they're to expect. And they've been told this over and over. 
Again, you would think that they had perfect memories and that they would, that this would just be tattooed on their mind what he's about to tell them. We already know where we're going. You don't have to tell us. We're so excited. But because they're forgetful, but because they don't want to think about these things, because they're better things or, or the current situation is on their mind, the current afflictions on their mind, Moses has to remind them again, the Lord is bringing you into this land. It's a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, verse 8, land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity. Notice it doesn't say eat manna without scarcity. No, there's going to be plenty of variety of food in which you will not lack anything. Land whose stone are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And here's the result when you've eaten and are satisfied, Israelite. And you're remembering and you're understanding right now the affliction and, and you're in the lowest state possible and, and it's as if your face is on the ground because you've been oppressed and you've been afflicted and that's, that's a good thing. And now you're entering into a land and, and what is the result of this? You're going to eat and you're going to be satisfied and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. It's not theirs because they're taking it. It's because God is giving it to them. And thankfulness should be the wellspring out of the heart of the Israelite that then enters into this land. Again, the Israelite was to actively recall God's leading in the wilderness. This was supposed to be the mindset of the Israelite. Again, we have to remember verse 11. Again, it's the only command, right? It is the only direction. The neon lights that are, that are saying, beware, Keep watch over yourself. But you're going to have to remember something before you go in. You're going to have to remember your total neediness. This was not you that accomplished this. You didn't have the strength in you, Israelite. You didn't have the, the smarts, the intelligence to make your way into this land. They wouldn't have any idea where to go this land, right? Abraham wasn't there to say, hey, it's, it's right down the road. Nobody had been there. They had no clue where it was. God had to lead them. And Moses is saying, remember your total neediness. Because God knows a few tendencies of this, this human heart, right? First, there is an unwillingness to acknowledge and thank God for his afflictions and trials. This is not what the Israelite was going to naturally do. They were not going to want to recall their humiliation. They were not going to recall, want to recall how God oppressed them and afflicted them so that it might give way to thankfulness. So God counsels us. This is what we need. And second, there's a con conscious effort to erase personal deficiencies. That's going to be natural. You, you're not going to want to highlight any previous afflictions in your life. Or, or, and you might be saying, I, I'm only in high school. But in your younger years, you, you had to learn how to ride a bike, and that was difficult. You had to learn how to read, and that may have been very difficult. You had to learn how to write. You had to learn how to walk. It was very difficult. I'm watching my children grow up, and, and, and these kinds of tasks are, are just are challenging. And all of those, right? And, and, and we don't naturally go back and think, oh man, that was so great that I, I had limitations. God put limits in my life. And he caused me to, to, to sense dependency. And he didn't allow me to, to feel exalted and, and to have supreme authority of my life. And, and I was under my parents' households and I, and, I, and I was so thankful for their leadership and guidance in my life. You're not going to want to do that naturally. Same with the Israelite. And so Moses had to counsel them and said, remember your total neediness. 
was reading in uh, 2013, there was a, a commencement speech for um, the graduates. Syracuse is a, is a pretty well-known uh, school, really smart school. Um, I was reading some of these, and, um, but, but here's where, what the speaker said. So, so young college graduates ready to go out into the world. Very happy, right? They endured a lot of tests and, and early classes and late nights. And, and here's what the speaker said. He said, travel, get rich, get famous, innovate, lead, fall in love, make and lose fortunes. But as you do, do to the extent that you can, err in the kind direction of kindness, do those things that incline you toward the big questions, and avoid the things that would reduce you and make you trivial. In other words, avoid those things that, that cause dependency, that cause neediness. And here's what he ended with, that luminous part of you that, that exists beyond personality, your soul, He's speaking to the Syracuse students who are about to graduate, right, about to potentially achieve something, work hard at something, see success. Here's what he said. Your soul is as bright and shining as any that has ever been. It's a lie. It's not a truth statement. It's not what Moses is telling Israelites. It's not what God is telling you right now as you're listening to the voice of God as we're reading Deuteronomy 8. Your soul is not the brightest thing. If somebody told you you are the best thing around, it's a lie. Your worth is in what God says your worth is in. And everything that you do moving on beyond this point, right beyond tomorrow, you need to recognize that you are totally dependent upon God for everything. Again, your growth, your physical growth, you did not cause your physical growth. Your, your mental abilities. Yes, you studied hard, but, but we could go back one step further. Who taught you those? It, it was your teacher. But it was God who gave you that ability. And and there was God who put you in those situations to recognize that you don't have it all. And you must remember this. You must remember your total neediness. We don't listen to lies like the Syracuse commencement speaker. We listen to the truth of God's word. And so we have three actions towards protecting yourself from yourself. Right? We saw how the first one was, remember your total neediness. And second, beware of your inner confidence. Beware of your inner confidence. Second action towards protecting yourself. Again, the biggest threat is not if you'll get into this college in a couple years. Or if you'll be with this person for in a marriage relationship. Or, or if you'll get to go to this activity or have this friendship. That is not your greatest danger. It's you. Moses is helping us with that. So what might inner confidence look like? First, you, you disobey God's word. Verse 11. Sorry. Uh. Yeah, verse 11. So again, the command, the, the, the only command in, the, in this whole entire section, take care. Beware. And then he says, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. And you might be wondering, forget the Lord? What, what does that mean? For, forget the Lord. Well, biblical forget does not mean amnesia, right? Doesn't mean there's an accident all of a sudden part of your brain is taken out and, and that part of you just happens to forget the Lord. 
Moses helps us to understand what, what that means. And, and for the idea of the Israelite forgetting the Lord is that he chooses not to obey God. As you saw in verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. How, what would that look like, Moses, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes? In other words, you forget the Lord your God by acting as if he didn't exist. Acting if, as if the entire word of God that was preached and discipled and taught for 40 years just, just didn't exist. And now the Israelite says, I, I don't care. I, I'm going to yell at my friend. I'm going to argue with my parent. I'm going to lie in this circumstance. I'm going to cheat on this. I'm going to uh, feign truth in order to get ahead. And so you, the Israelite forgets the Lord by not obeying. Again, the Israelite then becomes the sole authority inst instead of submitting his will to God's directions. Right? Disobedience to the word of God is, is forgetting God. You, you might say, or you might hear people say, I've, I've never forgotten God. And, and I would say, that's wrong. Please don't jump to that conclusion that fast. Right? What we have is clear evidence. You didn't have the spiritual amnesia forgetting forgetfulness. No, there was the choice to not obey the word of God. That's what inner confidence looks like. Again, what, what might inner confidence look like? Well, second, your heart exults. Your heart exults. Now, verse 12. And so, every, again, everything from, from here on out up to verse 18 is, is under the heading of this beware, this, this warning. And so we saw, lest you forget. And then verse 12, you see that word again, lest. And so it's, it's still following off for the, the beware, the, the big neon sign. Okay, Moses, what, what am I to beware about myself? And, and what's the potential? And the potential is not, as we're going to see, it's, it's not if there's success, as, you, as we'll read. It's, it's when success happens, when achievement happens. Notice verse 12. Otherwise, or, or lest, when, again, it's, it's not if, it's, it's, it's when, and the, notice the physical and the pleasure of health you have eaten and are satisfied. So they're going in this land, they're going to have the food there, right, and imagine, you know, uh, going into Costco, and, and there's, there's so much food there, and, and, and there's uh, samples, and, and uh, more samples, and and what do you know? Around the corner, there's, there's more samples. Yeah, around the samples, there's, there's food to choose. And, and then guess what's around that corner? More samples, yeah, and then more food. And so you, you buy it, and, and you're eating it. So the Israelites not going to the Israel Costco, but, but there would have been plenty of food that we just read earlier that God promised would be there. But over time, they'd work, and they'd cultivate the fields, and they'd, and they'd work hard to, to grow the crops and to grow the food and to raise the animals to kill, to eat. And so they're, they're eating this, and, and there's this satisfaction after the eating. So when, and, and then continuing verse 12, notice the personal security. When you've eaten and are satisfied, look down, verse 12, and have built good houses and lived in them. Right? When you go in and, and, and you construct something, into a house that you can live in, and, and, and now you're protected from the weather. You, you've used your mind, Israelite, and you've thought of all the ways that, that a house goes together, and, and you've worked hard, and, and you've put in the labor, and you've, you've worked long nights, and, and then there's the satisfaction of entering into a house, and, and now you know you're with your family, and you guys can have a good time, and you can laugh, and you can, there's discipleship going on, and it's all within the confines of the house. And, and Moses saying that this is going to happen. Success is going to happen. What else is going to happen? Verse 13, look at the financial success and the security. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, now there's growth in the, in the livestock. And, and now the, the bank account is swelling. Your, your silver and gold multiply. And all that you have multiplies. And so you're, you're just seeing the, the growth of the hard work 
and the labor, and, and, and one is standing back and saying, wow, the life's, I didn't have that before, or, you know, I didn't have this house, or, um, you know, I couldn't eat this uh, during this time of the season, and I had to wait, but, but now I waited, and, and here was the fruit of the success. And Moses says, beware. Notice verse 14, when that happens, again, not if, when, then your heart will become proud or lifted up or risen. The Israelites would have been very familiar with this word as they were listening to Moses preach to them in the wilderness right before they're about to enter in. This word had already been used about, about the tall uh, people who occupied the land. Right? Their stature was tall. Those were the people they were afraid of 40 years prior. Later on, it's going to be spoken about the, the tall mountains, the high mountains. But here, it's clear it's, it's not about your, your physical heart. It's about your moment-by-moment moment thinking. Right? Your, your, the, the mission control center, where everything where, where your affections and your desires are at, at stake and, and you're watching everything, you're intaking all the information and, and you're making calculations and it's this moment-by-moment moment thinking. And Moses warns to guard him, guard the Israelite of the exalted heart after a time of health and wealth and, and security. Again, remember, Moses' previous call to remember the Lord's reasons for his affliction and testing. There were, it was to see obedience. It was to see a decrease in the Israelites' sense of need for physical sustenance in place of an active awareness of sustenance from God's word. And it was to discipline the Israelites. It was to cause a low view of self and a high view of God. In other words, God led the Israelite in order to eliminate any sense of empowerment. And so here Moses commands the Israelite, and God warns you towards a 24-hour-7 guard duty over yourself when future success may cause a temptations towards a sense of self-exaltation. Success, and you're thinking, success, I haven't even done anything big. I haven't built a house. I haven't grown my own food. But again, I ask you, did you wake up this morning and get out of bed? That's a big success. At one point, that was a big success, right? Are you communicating today? At one point, that was a huge success in your life. Are you learning truth in God's church? That is a success. That is an achievement. Have you grown muscle? Have you gotten taller? Have you gotten stronger at all? Have you gotten healthier? That is a success, and that's an achievement. You might say, well, that's not that big, but at the earliest age, like when I asked my son this morning, did you get up? He said, yes. I said, well, did you thank God? He said, no. Well, of course. That's not natural for him. And so I have to teach him that. And I'm trying to teach him that we need to be thankful to God for everything. And over the years, if that is not a daily habit of yours, waking up is just going to be this another day of, I'm getting out of bed. If you're like me, usually it does begin with grumbling and complaining. Or when you read or when you're learning stuff in school, and all of you are learning so much and you are growing in your intelligence. And so there is success. It may not be building a house, but scoring a good grade is a success and it's an achievement. Eating food is a success and an achievement. Working through conflict isn't a, a success and achievement. And yet Moses warns when there's that achievement and taste of success, it brings this sense of completion, right? There's that physical and financial security. That it has a sense of feeling of protection, right? The task seemed difficult, challenging, and maybe even impossible. And, and once maybe the heart was discouraged, and maybe it was humiliated, and maybe it was tested, but now there's breathability, now a sense of elation in your mind, right? 
and in your heart, right? Again, this is all in your heart. This is not spoken. What we're going to be reading, this, this is not what you're saying out loud. This is going on in your inner man. And there's that, aha, or I finished, or I can't believe that. I never dreamed I could do this. I've never done this while on a test, or, or how did I do that? Wow. And then you, and you just gaze at, at your accomplishment. I remember doing that a couple months ago. I was on a, a camping retreat, and I, and I vacuumed, and I saw how nice the vacuum job was, and it was nicely rowed, and, and there was that, like, oh. Additionally, right, the Israelite then would have worked next to someone and, and then managed a household, and any success is literally a victory and accomplishment in the context of human relationships, so where there was infuriating inferiority dominating your thought, now a sense of superiority occupies the well-accomplished Israelite. So inner confidence disobeys God's word and, it, and the heart exalts. And you're to beware, student, because victory and success is coming, right? Tomorrow may happen or, or after this, right? Or, or anything that you do, where it was challenging, and Moses is warning you against that because your heart's going to exult. And then notice, you're going to deny God's hand in your life. You're going to deny God's works. Verse 14, it, it's successive. It, it goes, you know, it's, uh, um, then your heart will be lift up, and, and here's the, another result, and, and you forget the Lord your God. It's, it's, it's together, it's married together. Your heart's lifted up, and, and you forget the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Again, reminding them, you could not keep yourself alive in the wilderness apart from God's care and protection. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. Verse 16, in the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you in order to do you good in the end. Again, Moses urges the Israelite towards self-protecting from forgetting the Lord's, the Lord first by we saw how obeying his commandments, right? That's how we forget God. And then second, by not crediting the gifting or, or how he led us. And then this denial of God's works inevitably works with, with self-deception, right? In other words, inner confidence then takes credit for any success. Verse 17, if you have the ESV, it says beware. It, it's just continuing that first, first warning in verse 11. And, and he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. I caused success. I move forward because of my grades. I achieved that sport success because I put in the time in the gym. I scored that grade on that exam because I did the homework and I put the time in. My room is clean because of the effort I put into it. I'm friends with this friend because I, what I contribute, right, taking credit for any accomplishment, and that's, and that's verbally or quietly, and, and right here it's, it's saying it in your heart. So again, you might not say this out loud, but this is what you're thinking, right? And think about it, anything with improved skills, anything where there's a physical achievement, anything where there's this, this mental ability that you used to not be able to do and now you can do. Right? Maybe you've loved your appearance in the mirror after a workout. You loved your, the sight of yourself after a gym workout. You say, my education caused me to do this. Now, if any of you know about the tallest mountain in the world, it's, it's Mount Everest. Uh, it's about 5.5 miles high. It's pretty tall. Well, researchers say this. There's this area with an altitude above 26,000 feet. So, so 5.5 miles is 29,000 feet. But there's this area at 26,000 called um, the death zone. 
Now, now hikers can, can still go into that death zone, but, but it's called the death zone because people commonly die in there. It, the, the oxygen starts to go down. This is the area with an altitude above 26,000 feet where there is so little oxygen that the body then starts to die. And minute by minute, cell by cell, and here's what's going on, they say, in the death zone. Climbers' brains and lungs are starved for oxygen. And then the risk of a heart attack and stroke increases because then the blood starts to thicken, which would then clog the arteries and veins and, and cause you to die. One day in 2019, 250 climbers attempted to reach the summit, and three died. They say it's like running a treadmill with, while breathing through a straw. Now, one of the biggest factors, again, is, is in this area is, is not enough oxygen, and it can start to, to swell the brain. It can actually cause, start to swell the brain, and it's often considered to be severe and, and it, like the end stage of the hiker. And this swelling can trigger nausea and headaches and difficulty in thinking and reasoning begins to occur, and, and then... And then in this oxygen state where, where the brain just, is, just can't think clearly, it's making the wrong judgment calls, they've been known to do strange things like, like shed their clothes and, and talk to imaginary friends. Moses is saying that your heart can get to a point that it is swelled up, it has elevated it so much that you're going to start saying delirious things. You are going to be doing unheard of things according to God's word. Saying, I've done this. It's because of my strength and my hand. And just like the hikers in that 26,000 feet, there is just this delirium in your heart that has denied God's works. And it should be nauseating to think like that. To live in a state like that where you're so full of yourself and you're so unaware of how much of a hazard you are to yourself and you haven't given God the credit. Again, this is all what inner confidence looked like. And notice these, these strange things that Moses wants to remind us that, that there's a deception in verse 17 and 18, right? And so we get to verse 18, and there should be a but there. So you say this in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Here's the contrast. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. God gives the strength in order to make wealth. God gives you the intelligence in order to pass your grades. God gives you the ability to achieve and find success. And he does this so that he might confirm his covenant, which he swore to the fathers as his day. This inflated view of achievements and success will get to the point that the most fundamental Right? The Israelites would have clearly seen this. They would have clearly understood we did not get into the promised land because of ourselves. Fundamental, most basic, is that God gives you the strength to do what you need to do. Right? Again, mountaineers need oxygen for healthy and safe trips, and, and the human heart needs truth for healthy thinking, right? for sound reasoning. So beware of yourselves in future success. It, again, it may swell your heart to the, to the point that God is repulsive and you're unwilling to acknowledge him. And what seems better is to take credit for your achievements. And, and I know your thoughts, right? You, you say that, I've, I've finished this test. I've finished this project. I've achieved these results. My New, my new Year's resolutions are, are going along just as planned. But we need to beware of our inner confidence. Finally, our third action that protects ourselves from ourselves is, is heed, H-E-E-D, heed God's fair judgment, right? Take, take warning to what's about to be said. Be, be alert right now. If, if somebody were to tell you 
tomorrow, if you go inside your house and there's a bomb, there is a bomb, you would pay close attention and not go anywhere near your house. This is what Moses is directing you to heed God's fair judgment. Notice verse 19. And, and I want you to notice the, the subtle connection. Verse 19, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. And remember, how is one to forget the Lord their God? By exalting their heart, by denying his work in their life, by giving credit to self, by having such a, a swollen view of self that you're forgetting God. And, and, and Moses says, if, if you do all of that and, you, and, and, and after the success you forget the Lord your God and then go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Again, you, you've got to notice that link between inner confidence and forgetting God a.k.a. living as if he did not exist. I know I'm a little lower, but please listen, Be because this is, it's, it's so subtle, and yet maybe you're thinking, you're exaggerating. It's just a little inner confidence. It's just a little bit of, of uh, hey, I did a test, and, and I didn't thank God. I passed my driving exam, and I, and I didn't thank God, or, or I, or I uh, you know, I uh, did this physical achievement, and I didn't thank God. What, what is the big deal? And you may be thinking, why is this such a big deal? Confidence in yourself? Because God says you're going to surely die. God says that that leads to judgment. God says that's an unbeliever who is going to be rightly judged. Fairly. Verse 20, like the nations, and here's the comparison. They knew they were going into land. They knew what was to be done to these nations. They knew it in Leviticus, what is it, 16 or 17, that the land was going to spew them out. It was, the land was going to vomit these nations out because of how repulsive to God they were. Moses makes the connections. Hey, just like these unbelieving nations, notice that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. And, and notice the reason, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Students, I, I just want you to listen, please. Just for today, right? Listen and be warned of yourself. A natural disaster, an earthquake, failed grades, messing up on an assignment, not marrying somebody, not having a particular friendship, that, that's not the biggest threat to your existence. You are the biggest threat to your existence. And I hope that this was clearly shown to you because it's showing that you are denying God and you don't have a thankful heart and you have so much inner confidence that, that it's causing you to make these delirious and these irrational statements such as, by my hand, I've achieved this. Because of this, I've accomplished this. Because I'm so smart, I've done this. And so this is sweet counsel to our hearts. He, God didn't have to say this to the Israelites. And God would not have been like the Syracuse commencement speaker. No, God wanted to speak the truth and give them the warning that they needed. That we often don't take heed. So pray that this text would forever be burned upon your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us directly. Thank you for the warning. And thank you for making a way for forgetful people, for unthankful people like me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, who indeed died in my place because I deserve your just judgment. He bore my sin on the cross. 
and he forever lives because you raised him from the dead. And now my hope is forever secure because even though I know I have unthankfulness in my heart and you see the wickedness of it when, when the, your afflictions raise that up out of my heart, I, I have confidence because of what you said will save me and only because of Jesus Christ. If there's anybody in here who has not put their confidence in Christ, I pray that this text would utterly frighten them but that they would be aware that you have not abandoned them right now, but that they would be able to respond by faith. Give them the ability to respond by faith. Open their heart to respond by faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.